welcome back to another season of KPRB. Three years later. Three years later. I'm the host, Lexi Pussy. I'm the other host, Mara Coster. And we're back. Yes. Cross your fingers. We're back. We've been trying to be back for probably two years. At least. We didn't change anything with the format. We're nope. going to do the same thing, just different books. So mm-hmm. we're a little rusty, I will say. Or a lot. It was kind of hard to come back from it. But our first book of the season for season two is The Hellfire Club by Jake Tapper. Mine looks different. Yeah, we got two different copies. Thanks to the Zon. Thanks, Amazon. <laughs> so mine was, I think, copyright 2019. And mine is 2018. And you can decide who got the cooler book. I say me. I think so, too. Look at the color of the words. Yeah, I think that that makes it way cooler. Oh, also, we have these really cool new shirts. And if you're watching the video, you can see these cool new shirts. And if not, then too bad for you. You're missing out. Too bad, so sad. Do you want to start with how you felt about the book? Or should we just talk about each part? Um, Let's do an overall. Okay, so The Hellfire Club by Jake Tapper. I picked this book. This was my pick. I picked this book because I was listening to a podcast and the person had read the third book and she said it was, well, it was Ellen Hildebrand. So famous author, has a podcast. She had Jake Tapper on. She said the third book was one of the best books she's ever read in her life. And I feel like that's saying something. If you've written 29 books and you think that the third book is one of the best books you've ever read. So I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be so good. It's set in like the 50s and 60s, which is a fun time period. And so I was going to read this book. By the end of the book, I did think, oh, that book was good. But when I was reading the book, I thought I could throw this book away because I do not like it. And it was really hard for me to get through. Overall, I gave it a 3.5 stars. Um, I was also interested in reading it because I'd listened to the same podcast (laughs) and I thought, oh, this is really neat that you got, you have this Jake Tapper who is a CNN news anchor, but then in his free time, his side job, I don't know, writes novels. Yeah. You know, he started in nonfiction, but then he jumped over to novel, fiction novels. And I was like, oh, I wonder, like, that's really interesting. I... (laughs) 3.5 stars is kind of low for me. Usually I'm like four. I'm a really five star. I'm like, oh, if I liked it, I'd give it five stars. Yeah. So it just had a lot of really big words in it (laughs) that I had never, ever seen before. Even that had like roots and prefixes and suffixes. I'm like, I don't even know. Like, how do you make meaning of this? (laughs) I just started marking all the words. I was like, okay, what is the purpose of that word in this sentence? Because I felt like a lot of the words were unnecessary. That's what I thought. I would look at a word and I would go, I don't know what that word is. So then I would just keep reading because usually if I don't know what a word is, I don't look it up. But since I was reading this for the podcast, I thought, I'll look it up. And then I would look it up at the end of the chapter and I would think that was just 
an unnecessary use of your vocabulary. Yes. I mean, I didn't ever look a word up because I thought, well, I can make meaning out of context if I need to. And if I'm still confused, I can look it up. And not once did I think I need to look that word up so I know what this means in this section. So, yes. I thought there were lots of characters. Well, I can tell you that I did make a character list because I had to start writing the characters down. And I made a character list after the fact, and this is how long the character list is. There's at least 30 characters, because I didn't write down the Kennedys, I know for sure, mm -hmm. so before other characters. And then there were some side characters that didn't ever come back, and I did not write them down. So there were at least 30 characters that were involved with the story and reoccurring characters. So that was another problem that I had. I don't think that I should have a list that's this long of characters that I need to keep track of. I just was thinking as I was reading, like, are these real people? Are these made up people? Because some of the people were real, like the Kennedys. But then some people were yes. made up, like Charlie, the main character. He's a made up guy, right? Yes. Trying to decipher between fiction and reality. <laughs> was really it was difficult for me to read because it was so real like this could happen I'm like does this happen so and we'll get into that when we get into our sections but when I sold it it was kind of like a mystery that I thought it was going to be kind of more like a spy novel mm -hmm. and that it was going to be this couple and they were doing this spy stuff with political implications in Washington DC and this one didn't really scream spy novel to me my rating for it was, I mean, you can if you want, because I had, don't do stars, because I can't ever pick how many stars I'm going to give something. So my rating is drop everything and read this, add it to your TBR stack. I mean, you can if you want, and don't waste your time. Yeah. So, I mean, you could read this if you want, but I wouldn't say that it's something that I would say, you need to read this book. The other thing that I thought was I didn't really find myself very invested with any of the characters in the story, and we'll kind of talk about that, that I didn't really care if anybody died because there were so many people that I didn't know, which nobody, some people died, but right. I didn't feel like there were very high stakes, but there were really high stakes, but I didn't really care about what was happening to the characters. Yes. The first part of this book, the first 25%, is chapters one through eight. And the book starts out in the opening scene, and it's March 5th, 1954, and it's kind of like a flash forward. And Charlie Martyr, who's our main character, he wakes up to a car accident at Rock Creek Park in Washington, D.C. And there's a car there that he crashed that he doesn't remember driving or crashing. And the only memories that he has as he's waking up from this um, are of a party that he went to with some of his work colleagues the night before. And while he's kind of deciding, like, what do I do? This is crazy. I just woke up to a car crash. This character, Davis Lamentage, pulls up and he helps him take care of the car accident. And they figure out that there's this dead body that's next to the car. And so that's the first chapter of the book, the opening scene. And then the next chapter, we go back in time to three months 
before the accident. And that's when the story kind of starts to really take place. So it's January 4th. No, it's January 14th, 1954. And then we meet Charlie again. And he's a current New York representative in the House of Representatives. And he and his wife, Margaret, have moved from New York to Washington so he can start his political career. And while they're there, they find out that they're expecting their first child. But it's a really busy time for both of them. Because Charlie's trying to make his name, make a splash in the political world. Margaret is a researcher of ponies. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Margaret is probably my favorite character. Me too. And just to note that Charlie was not elected to the House of Representatives. He was selected because the person who had um, that seat died. And it is sort of a mysterious death. Like, they were like, oh, yeah. it, it was obviously, like, a suicide or, you know, but it Charlie, like, investigates a little bit more and he's suspicious. It's a suspicious death to him. Yes. And Charlie really makes, this, like, a name for himself really early in his seat on Capitol Hill because he adamantly opposes the Goodstone Rubber and Tire Company during his Appropriations Committee meeting. And um, people don't like that. Right. And he is a veteran of World War II. He is in a battle. I don't even remember which one. But he's in a battle and he loses a soldier because the gas mask didn't work properly. And that has haunted him. And so when he finds out, like, this Goodstone Company made those... Um, defective gas masks that he's you know anything that has that good stone name he is like do not give them any money like they're terrible they make defective gas masks and that is like his one thing that he's hung his hat on like the whole book is about these gas masks so while all this is happening he's he's a freshman he's starting to make a name in congress margaret gets a job on a research trip in maryland I think it's called Nanticoke Island. Yeah. That's how I always said it in my head, Nanticoke Island. And she's collecting data with, I think it was her professor, somebody that she knew, Dr. Gwinnett. Um, And she's collecting data on these ponies. And these ponies have been a really long time fascination for her. So this is kind of like a trip of a lifetime for her, which she has a hard time with because... She's going to have a baby, but she doesn't want the baby to ruin, like, all of her career ambitions. And I think that both of them trying to be so career-focused and also have a baby, Margaret really starts to pull away from Charlie mm-hmm. because she gets she's nervous that he's going to make her just stay home and not work anymore. Yes. that I have that noted in this part one is, like, there are several women in the storyline who work but for charlie his assistant and his secretaries are both single women and margaret is not and it's the night 1954 you know the 1950s that was just not the norm you know oh you got married and you stayed home you're gonna have a kid you're gonna stay right and she's continued to work and she wants to continue to work even after she has the child so Because she's very passionate about the research and these ponies, and she is a huge nerd. Her and Charlie are huge nerds, because before Charlie was in Washington, D.C., he was a professor at 
Columbia University, and he wrote a book that was like on the bestseller list. Yeah, and she edited his book. <laughs> AKA, she did all the work right. for him while he was like, oh, I guess I'll write this book. <laughs> I will tell you that this is the problem that I had. It took me a really long time to process through this story and to think, how am I going to talk about this on the podcast? Because so many things happened in this story and there's so many connections and I didn't feel like I could leave any details out because it was just like a winding map of details and little things and it all eventually pulled together in the last 25% of it. But in this first part, I was like intrigued because it's this Washington, D.C. What's going to happen with this senator that was has a sp- suspicious death? I thought that <laughs> Margaret was going to be a much bigger part of the story. And so that's kind of why I wanted to read Me it. Me too, because the, like, the back says, along with his pregnant wife, Margaret, a zoologist with ambitions of her own, Charlie struggles to do what is right while learning more about the mysterious circumstances of his predecessor's death. I mean, it just makes it sound like they worked together the whole book to solve this mystery. They hardly worked together until like the last third of the book. Really, Cheryl Ann Bernstein is the one who figures out like what's right. going on. Because she's the intern that does all the she research. She does all the work. So Charlie and Margaret don't even do anything anyway. Right. I should mention too that in Charlie's desk, from uh there's a note because it used to be van wagon van wagon and van wagon's i just said van wagon in my head when i was reading that he found a little slip of paper that had a note written on it and it's just said code code and it said you chicago two comma four dash d two comma four comma five dash t cereal grains broad leaf crops he kind of pockets that and he's like this is kind of weird i wonder what this is like so that kind of also he's kind of thinking about that through the whole thing see this is the problem i like wrote this whole thing and then i'm like oh my gosh look at my notes all this stuff happened yeah. because Kefauver is another senator what i struggled with while reading is trying to decide who is on the good side and the bad side the whole time, I, like, I thought that Keith Faber was that the bad a good guy. guy or a bad guy. I don't know. Was that La Montaigne? I don't even know how you say his name. It's La Montage because I started listening okay. to it, and that's how they say it. And because Jake Tapper narrates uh-huh. the audiobook, and so it's La Montage. Okay, like is he good or bad? La Montage. The one person I knew that wasn't good. That the person I knew that was good was um gosh what's his name street i was street. like oh he's good there's no question until i got to the end which is like i was like i questioned it for like two pages i was like no and then I was like, oh good he says that kefauver to charlie because charlie really made a big splash yes. when he was when he um I don't even know what the word is. When he like went against the Goodstone mm-hmm. appropriations, people did not like that. And he really got himself into some hot water with that. Kefauver said to him, it's on page 31, and I thought this was a good quote. He said, but of course you should fight for what you think is right. That's an admirable trait. 
and too few of us possess it. Just know this town, Washington, D.C., isn't built to reward it. That was kind of the fight that Charlie had internally was, should I do this? Because I think it's good to fight against Goodstone because I had a soldier that died because Goodstone was careless with their production or should I just like stay back and not say anything so then I don't get myself into trouble and that was a fight that Charlie had that went throughout the whole entire internal conflict we're talking about conflict in sixth grade so you know I'm paying close attention to types of conflict while I'm reading and then there's also the introduction of the comic book trial yes And I was very confused by the idea of this. I was like, what does this have to do with anything? Why are we worried about kids reading comic books? Oh, wait, it's the 1950s. Comics books were new. I think that that was kind of a hard part for me, too, was that there were so many different, like, subplot points that in the end, it all ended up wrapping up pretty nicely. But it was like, this comic book thing, I could have cared less about it. I didn't care about it. I didn't. I thought that it was one. I thought it was ridiculous that they were having this fight. <laughs> but this is why I really thought that Kefauver was the evil guy, mm-hmm. was because he was so adamant about this comic book thing that comic books were so evil, they were so bad. And I did not like him because I thought, who cares? Like, just let the kids read whatever right. they want. Why are you going to rent this building? I mean, this, he kept asking, like, do you have the place rented? You have a location for this? And I was like, if you want it so bad, why don't you have your secretary do it? I know. Then there's also the poker game with the veterans that is introduced. So that's a good, they play poker with the veterans and then they kind of share their information and share their thoughts like behind the scenes of what's going on in Washington. I did notice like on page 47, they go back in time to when... Pearl Harbor happened because Charlie's birthday is December 7th. His 18th birthday. It's his 21st birthday. Okay. Yes, 21st birthday. Well, in my head, I didn't read the 21st birthday and I didn't do the math, but my note was like, was it legal for 18-year-olds to drink? (laughs) And so I looked it up because after Prohibition, yes, the legal age was 21 to drink. Um... But then in the late, like, 60s and 70s are when states started saying, oh, no, like, we're going to have ours be 18. And then it was state, just, like, decided by the state. But then the federal government came in and said, no, like, this is, you don't get to decide nationally. It's age 21. Hmm. That's interesting. Yes. Yeah, so because he was 21, and it was, like, such a big deal that Pearl Harbor happened because then he was going to go into war. Yeah. But he was kind of like a soft child. I don't want to say soft, and it's not in a negative context, but he definitely was not somebody who I think would be cut out for violence and war and feel good about it. And so his parents were really concerned because he was like, I'm signing up, I'm going to go. And I think that that really had an effect on him because he just is so caring. Yes, he's very... He's very much like a congressman, a professor. Like, he's not cut out for hard labor. (laughs) Yes, yeah. This is just one of my notes, and it's kind of jumping around, but I thought this was really interesting. Margaret goes to her research trip with Dr. Gwinnett. 
she talks about how her father was killed because her father was a part of the Navy or he was a part of one of the branches of the military, maybe the Air Force, because he died in a on the USS Shenandoah, but he died because of a Diragibel, I don't even think that's right, crash. And I was like, that was one of the words that I thought, I don't even know what this is. And that I stopped and I Googled it and it's a blimp. So it was the airships that were the blimps. And he died in a crash from the blimp because his commanding officer said, no, you need to go out. And it was Mm -hmm. bad weather. So that's how her dad died. But I want to mention this because I thought it was really interesting. In 2021... There were only 25 blimps still in existence, and only about half of them are still used for advertising. 1930, and a blimp was a war tool, and now there's only 25 of them left in existence. So that was something that I learned because I didn't know what the word dirigibel meant, but it just means blimp. Okay, that's good to know because I didn't look it up. I just was like, no, it's a plane crash. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Well, usually what happens, because this is, I read a book earlier this year, and it was very military heavy, very like gun heavy. And I could tell that the Hellfire Club was written probably for more of a, like a Mm -hmm. man to read it, the male audience. Like, I don't care. Planes, I I have no idea. Every plane to me looks like a biplane or it looks like a fighter jet (laughs) if I'm reading about it. And it was the same thing, like, this book that I read was, they were detailing out guns. Like, I will tell you, every gun to me looks like a pistol, and if you say it's a shotgun, then I think it's a shotgun. Yeah, that's what I think, too. In my mind, it's just all the same, so. One storyline we haven't talked about is communism and McCarthyism. So, Joe McCarthy is one of the big characters in this book. Yeah, he is the big (sighs) bad. And I knew that he was the big bad for the whole book. And he just, like, you just roll your eyes, but you think, like, people believed him in the 50s. And so they have this idea of communism that people are, like, all of America's communists and we got to catch them. We got to put them on trial and they have witnessed and they have to have proof that they're communists. No one is a communist. (laughs) No one. And... There was a, I don't think it was in this first part, but there was this huge thing where they evacuated all these people out of the government, like workers, because they were, these are communists and they weren't, they just wanted to fire them. So that was just a good excuse to get rid of these people. There was no basis for them to be communists, but then you actually have communists and guess what? Yeah. And in part three, I mean, that's what. The Margaret scientist says, like, you can't call someone a communist just because they want, like, a more equitable society, which is, you know, kind of ironic. And then we find out later something about him. But, you know, when I read that, I was like, yeah, because that's what people think. It was like, oh, you think that because this person should get better treatment? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. But, I mean, just knowing, like, McCarthy as, a like, a real person and the havoc he caused in the 1950s with this. Yes, it makes, I mean, it's historical fiction, but like so many things are true. <laughs> and I think that Jake Tapper did a really good job of writing this because it was very yes. believable. 
And he did a good job of skirting around some stuff, but also putting some implications mm-hmm. in of things. So he didn't like deep dive into communism. He didn't deep dive into the wars. He didn't deep dive into President Eisenhower. He just kind of like glossed mm-hmm. over all of that, but it was still such a good story about kind of what had happened in the 50s. Yeah. Politically, Politically in, 50s, in America. Yeah. We also need to talk about the first research trip with Margaret and Dr. Gwinnett because Dr. Gwinnett like is hard eyes, hard eyes for Margaret. And he always was hard eyes, hard eyes for Margaret. And that part made me so mad because I thought Margaret was going to cheat on Charlie with Dr. Gwinnett. I just got creeps from Dr. Gwinnett. <laughs> And I was like, Margaret, like, I pictured him as an old guy. He's a creepy old scientist guy, like, who likes ponies. Yeah. (laughs) And he's creepy, like, preys on her. Well, then it made, that was another storyline that I didn't understand until the end when we find out a little bit more about it. But the whole time I was like, okay, this is just making me mad to read about this research trip because... Margaret is just trying to research, but I didn't feel like there was any connection right. to the story. So then I was kind of like just glossing over it because I didn't really yeah. care. But then at the end, like, I think if I read this book again, I would be like, oh my gosh, did you see yes, that clue? I think There's we that would clue. have a There's lot of foreshadowing. Clue. Like, I would realize, oh, that's a clue that something's going to happen. But sometimes, unless the foreshadowing is pretty blatant, like, I don't pick up on it. And I think that something that I realized as I was trying to process through this book was that Jake Tapper did a really good job of writing the story, except he did not give enough clues for the reader to put two and two together. And then at the very end, it was like, Mm -hmm. here it all is. I'm going to wrap it up and Mm -hmm. put a bow on it. So... But I, I do think I would read it again. Like I still have the audiobook checked out and I might listen to the audiobook just so then I can go back and go, uh-huh. oh, there's a clue. Oh, there's a clue. The last quote that I have from part one that I think, especially when I was going through my notes, is from Chris McLaughlin. And he's talking about their oath as members of the Senate and of the House. And as part of their oath, it says that they are to protect Americans from enemies, foreign and domestic. When I read it the first time, it obviously stuck with me enough that I wrote it down in my notes. I think that a little bit of that was, oh, what's happened in the last five years politically in America um, but then when I was going back through the notes, I was like, the, the Hellfire Club is a mm-hmm. problem for the mm-hmm. American government. And that's what McLaughlin was alluding to was, yeah, we have enemies that are foreign enemies, but you also have to look at the ones that are yes. right under your nose. Which he ended up dying because he was yes. like snuffing yes. out that stuff. And I don't know, that's all that I have for part one without being, this is really hard to set up without talking about everything else that happens in the story. So if there's anything else you want to talk about in part one, then you can. Oh, Charlie's dad. Charlie's dad, Winston, is, I was not, his. I did not like him. I did not like him either. He just like seems, 
he's not very nice to Charlie, and he just seems like this bully. Like, he just, I know more. I do this. I'm part of this elite club. Like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, can you stop? Yeah, it was like, I'm a big deal, and I want you, Charlie, to know that I'm a big deal. And also, I have a lot of power and influence, and I'm going to use that against my own son. Yes. I didn't like him, and I still don't know if I like him in the end, but in the end, he had a little bit of a redemption arc. A little bit, yeah. But it's still, it was kind of like the key father. The whole story, I did not like him. I thought, this is the evil guy. Like, Winston's in on it. Winston's out to get his own kid. And then I was kind of surprised at the end when that was not what had happened. So, Charlie's mom seems super nice. Right. (laughs) All right. So, for part two chapters 9 through 15. This takes place over about one month. So it's February 18th to March 5th. And this is just a gloss by because there's a lot of stuff that happened in this part too. Yes. A shooting on Congress floor leaves Chris McLaughlin dead. Charlie gets invited to a party. He finds out Frank Carlin took out the Goodstone Clause out of that appropriations but he just put it right back into a different bill. So everything that Charlie had fought for was kaput. Like, it didn't really matter. And Charlie and Margaret have been growing, slowly growing apart as Charlie becomes more involved in his political atmosphere. At the end of the night of this party, Charlie wakes up by the Studebaker with the unknown dead woman next to the car. Then, the next day... Charlie finds out that Margaret has left for another research trip to assist Dr. Gwinnett with more ponies research, but she left without telling Charlie. That's what I have for the, like, big picture things that happened. But lots of stuff happened in part two. I think once I hit about 100 pages, I got 100 pages in, that's when I really started to, it started to read easier for me. I just think that there were so many things happening that it it kept pushing the plot forward. Like the first 100 pages were just like, okay, come on. Like, I don't get what's going, I don't get what's going on in this part. More things start to kind of fall into In the first one, when you have 16 characters that get introduced in the first 25% of your book, so it's about 75 pages. That was a lot to read. Like, it was definitely, like, an information, like, vomit. But in the second part, we find out a lot of stuff. Like, Lamontage is a lobbyist. Um, He works with this Janus Electronics, but he secretly is really working on tech surveillance for the CIA through these baby monitors. Mm Mm-hmm. The intern, Cheryl Ann Bernstein, she finds out a little bit more about that note that Charlie found with the code written on it. And she finds out that this is a study that has to do with like wartime secrecy laws. So she can't find out a lot of information about it, but it kind of pushes that plot line forward a little bit. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting too in this first part, there's a quote about people containing multitudes it's kind of long, but it's Isaiah Street basically saying, like, 
there can be good people that have to make bad choices and there can be bad people that have to make good choices. And that's just basically as human nature is that you can contain multitudes. You can be a bad person that has good intentions, a good person that has bad intentions, um, but that humans just aren't Mm -hmm. like basic black and white, good and bad. And I think that kind of pushed Charlie a little bit because Charlie had started to really struggle with that concept of, well, I am a congressman. What I do has a lot of impact on the American people, and I don't want to make the wrong decision. It's a give and take. Like Sometimes you have to do bad yes. stuff to you that you don't agree with for the betterment of the whole or whatever. I think maybe it's that same part that they bring up secret societies. And there's secret societies, and Charlie's like, what do you mean? Like, these and... Isaiah's like, uh, like the KKK, like, you know, the founding fathers, you know, then they talk about traitors and how like they still like, and still today, you know, in 2023, like we don't label these men as traitors because of all the great things they did, even though they did some, they did some bad things. And I think that is kind of hard for people to understand. Like these were people they did really good things, but they're they're all they, they well, did some like bad that's things. human and, nature, you know, right? Well, and I think like they're good. The good outweighs the bad. Yes, and I think that's hard. And you know, Charlie kind of gets wrapped up in the academic part. Yeah, and Isaiah kind of brings him back to reality of you know, like Charlie's like, well, in the books and this, like he he thinks too much, but. Yeah, I'm like, I really, Isaiah was probably my favorite character. Oh, I already said Margaret was my favorite character. Oh, oh. you can have more than one favorite character. There are yeah. no rules here, so. And Isaiah is the one who, like, when they're playing the poker game, he tells Charlie about the old okie doke and how it's, like, a scam, it's a distraction, and I really liked that because, like, the old okie doke, like, that's fun. But then that ends up playing a pretty big part in, at the end, with Isaiah. So this part is also the part where the they're on the House floor and there's Puerto Rican activists. And with this Puerto Rican activist, they go into Congress and they shoot six people. And then mm-hmm. that's when Chris McLaughlin ends up dying Because he gets shot, which this part, I feel like I'm saying this a lot, but this was another part that I was like, one, why is this happening? And two, why do I care? Because it was just, it felt so random. But then in the end, you find out that the Hellfire Club was behind it. That's how they, they wanted to kill Chris McLaughlin. But it just, this part, I was obviously like, oh my gosh, people are getting shot. What is going on? But then I also thought, I don't know really care that much yeah and I was just the whole book I was very concerned about the accuracy yeah (laughs) historical accuracy I was like okay so were there really Puerto Rican activists in the 1950s in America the answer is yes I mean I do think Jake Tapper did a very nice job of this is all historically accurate yes but I didn't really believe it until I got to the end and read like his notes and his sources because of what in the world? Like you don't hear about Puerto Rican activists from the fifties. Yeah. In 1954. In the fifties, all we learn about is communism. (laughs) 
And I think, too, that it's so hard to fathom that people could just, like, walk into Congress and shoot people and then shoot people, basically, like, walk out. And then they talk about it later in the story, how even though they had just had a shooting a couple weeks ago, like, there was no security. They could just, like, walk back into the Capitol building. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, I just can't fathom that in 2023, just being like, okay, go on in. I don't know. We had an emergency here a couple weeks ago. But when Chris McLaughlin, he's in the hospital, he whispers very dramatically, I think, um, something about under Jennifer. And that's supposed to be a hint to Charlie and I think Isaiah about something. And they can't figure out what it is and what it means. Right. So then we get invi- we get another company involved, General Kinetics. And this is, I think it's Isaiah Street has a really big um, issue with this because this company, General Kinetics, is testing chemicals, but it's really affecting the um, surrounding communities. And there's a big health crisis in these communities where General Kinetics is testing these chemicals. And so then Charlie kind of starts to think about it and kind of starts, that's his, after the Goodstone appropriations Mm kind of goes away, then this is his focus, is this General Kinetics and this chemical situation that's going on. I thought it was an interesting thing because Street says, like, this is the engine of capitalism, that there's always a cost to the people that are living places, but is the cost like worth it for the money? General Kinetics is killing people. They're killing animals, but they're making money from the government for this. So it's worth it in their mind because that's that's just the cost of capitalism, you know? Yep. Then we go to the party. So Chris McLaughlin dies. Charlie goes home, and then he gets invited to this party. Margaret's already mad at him because he's been gallivanting all around for this political stuff. He's mm-hmm. not. He has not been home. They have not spent time together. And then Charlie goes to this party. And when I was reading it, this party was like, ding, 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 this is going to be the bad guy committee. Yeah. Because it was just, like, sketchy. He oh, walks in. I mean. Like, they walked in and they were like take off your shoes because connie doesn't like it when you wear shoes i'd be like uh okay i'll just leave then yeah bye this is where we meet a lot of the members of the hellfire club but we don't know that yet so there's like Mm -hmm. the dual brothers the cia there's cia directors there's like a columnist there there's other congressmen there there's this president of the united fruit company who's there the goodstone the goodstone what is that ceo owner Mm -hmm. is there it's like a lot of these men are having this party together who have a lot of influence on the political and social climate in america this is where charlie goes for his party and then doesn't remember how he wakes up in in a car crash yes it's like something happens at this party well he starts to drink what is it a lot like absinthe absinthe what is that what he drinks because they have like a special cart they wheel in for the absinthe yes 
I don't even know. Is that how you say it? I don't know. So I think Charlie knows like, oh, something's kind of up. Something's going on. But he's just so, I think, overwhelmed and kind of distraught about what's happened that he's like, I'm just going to drink and drink and drink because it's easier to almost like numb out what's going on than to face what what's happening so yeah the library and is a really big deal and it actually ends up that the waitress is the person the woman who died next to the car and i'm gonna just spoil it i'm gonna ruin it for you guys (laughs) sugar cube that she like does her like fancy little trick with or whatever is really roofies and they roofied Charlie at this party. Mm-hmm. So that you don't know that, but this is definitely the introduction of the, the very important people, AKA the hellfire, club. hellfire club. That's all that I have for part two. I don't have, yeah, I don't have very many notes from part two. Okay. They meet the Kennedys and like, Charlie and Jackie like exchange poems like that part was weird. Cite poems and I was like, I read the poem several times, and I just was like, why is this in here? Charlie like forced Margaret to go meet the Kennedys, and it was like obvious the Kennedys were like enjoying a supper. Yeah, and he just like interrupts and is like, I'm Charlie, and this is my wife Margaret, and it was awkward. really weird. He was kind of drunk. Then the but the Kennedys never really had that big of a a part in the rest of the yeah thing. So I think Bob Kennedy might be part of the Hellfire Club, but it was never like implicitly stated. So I don't know if maybe in the second and third books, if maybe the Kennedys play a bigger part in that, or I don't know. So I need to go back and just do some research, but I hate poems. Me too. You know, I don't really understand them. I don't, I don't know. I, You know, the underlying message from the poem, like what I think is never what anyone else thinks. <laughs> I think they're really hard. Well, I have a bad habit when people put in songs, put in poems. Anytime that you think, I'm going to put a big chunk of italicized words <laughs> in, I just don't read it because mm-hmm. it usually doesn't add that much to the story but if I went back and looked at it then maybe I could say oh this was definitely a turning point a foreshadowing of something with this Kennedy's poem but I just don't I hardly ever read them because they hardly ever make sense so yeah are you ready for part three yeah yeah what was that? <laughs> so in part three, Charlie finds himself put. Okay, well, first off, let me just tell you. Part three is from March 6th to April 20th. So we kind of have like a longer time period in part three. Charlie finds himself putting his head down more in Washington as he tries to figure out what McCarthy is up to. Charlie and Margaret begin to grow closer as they work to figure out what happened the night of the car crash and why. Isaiah and Renee Street join the investigation, still coming up short on what is going on. 
Charlie has asked for a dirty dossier on Phil Strongfellow from his father. So he, he's trying to get it, steal it from his dad. And he ends up taking it without his father's knowledge and reluctantly hands it over to La Montage and Frank Carlin. Mm-hmm. So for me, part three is really where I thought, oh, I get it now. But I also thought, what in the world is going on? Yeah. <laughs> I knew that like La Montage was the bad guy and that they had dirt on Charlie from the car accident. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really understand like really why things were happening. I and felt much better when Charlie like confessed or he told Isaiah about the car accident because I felt like he was like, sitting on that and Isaiah was like, uh, no, I know exactly what has happened. Yes. And he was like, no, like, this is some deep, deep stuff. Like, Well, and even Margaret was, the, when he finally told Margaret what had oh, been happening, yeah. Margaret was like, no, that's not like you to, like, get behind a car when you're drunk. Like, when you're drunk, right. you pass out and you don't wake up for hours wake and up. hours. Exactly. So then I do think that the guilt that Charlie was feeling was starting to leave him a little bit. And then the curiosity of like, why would someone drug me? What's going on? And like, what else is Isaiah Street? No. Yeah. They still try to figure out kind of what that under Jennifer thing means. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was a shot in the dark. He has to run into Margaret Chase Smith, that congresswoman. If he had not talked to her, like, he would have never known about the the members-only collection at the Library of Congress. And I'm like, is that real? It has to be. Is that a real thing? Like, I, I meant to look it up, but I didn't. I guess I can right now. But then he was like, oh, yeah, let me go look in the members-only collection. It has to be real, don't you think? I'm going to look it up. I don't really see an answer. Maybe that's why it's the secret library. Well, next time I see one of my congressmen, I'll ask him. I'm sure they'll tell you. I mean, I feel like it has to be a real thing, right? Like, there has to be some things that, like, they only have access to. Yeah. I mean, the Google's probably not going to tell you that, so. <laughs> True. This was the problem that I had with the Margaret, what's her name? Senator Margaret Chase Smith. Is that here you have all this stuff that's happened. And then you meet this random person on the train and they're like, oh yeah, did you know the library? And I really liked her. Margaret Chase Smith was like one of my favorite side characters. It just felt so convenient. And I didn't, I didn't really like that. So they get the hint from the Senator Margaret Chase Smith. And in that library, Cheryl Ann Bernstein um, figures out that the under Jennifer is talking about Daniel of St. Thomas Jennifer, which it's Jennifer with one N, and he was a founding father. And also in this part is where it really starts the manipulation of Carlin and La Montage of Charlie. Like, this is where they're like, Get this dossier on Strongfellow. You're going to do this. This is how you're going to vote. This is mm-hmm. how the comic book hearing's going to go. And then, oh, maybe that's not right. Because 
they figure out the under Jennifer thing, which this is where I was kind of confused because I didn't really know where Cheryl Cheryl Ann was getting all of her information. She figured out that it was under Jennifer and then they ran into Charlie ran into Senator Margaret Chase. And then he was just missing Margaret so much that he had to go to the island to go and get her. And then he ended up rescuing her because she had gone in after a pony. Mm -hmm. And then that's when he tells Margaret, oh, this is all the stuff that's been happening. The car crash, the Carlin, all of that, the party, all that stuff. And she said, I think it was all a setup. She, like, listened to the whole story, and she's like, Charlie, come on. Like, (laughs) yeah, you doofus. That's what she's saying. Yep. So that's also when Charlie says to Isaiah, like, I need help. And so then Renee and Isaiah Street and Charlie and Margaret, they kind of work together Mm -hmm. to figure out what's going on. Yes. And then that's when they visit the Library of Congress. Yes. And then they go to... Um, a poker game yeah and then the guy la montage la montage plays isaiah and he's really cocky like not i not isaiah but um la montage is like oh like i'm gonna beat this guy yeah isaiah ends up winning and then la montage said something about an illegitimate son yes and then Charlie, like, grabs onto that and figures out, okay, we've got to go look at Ben Franklin right now. <laughs> yes. So then they find Temple Franklin mm-hmm. in the Library of Congress. And that is the illegitimate son of Ben Franklin's illegitimate son. Yes. So it's his illegitimate grandson. Yes. Twice removed, illegitimate, twice. Because it's yeah. like... Ben Franklin's illegitimate son had an illegitimate son. (laughs) Okay, that couldn't be any more confusing. (laughs) But, and then that's kind of where it ends in part three. It's kind of a cliffhanger. Mm Because we're like, okay, well, what does this even mean? So, lots of stuff happens. Mm -hmm. Lots of big things get revealed in part three. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, when Charlie's talking with Margaret Chase Smith, she does say an interesting quote. Yeah. A rat metaphor. You know, is it a metaphor? Is it an analogy? I don't know. It's an analogy, I think, to comparing rats to members of Congress. Yeah. Um, because it is never just one rat. It eventually becomes your problem. So if you don't take care of this one rat, that turns into multiple rats, and then you have this huge problem on your hands. Yes. And that is how I feel like politics works. Yes. That's another reason why I got three out of three point five out of five stars is because like I just am not into politics. Mm, yeah. I mean, I'm like this like sketchy stuff that happens, this bartering, this like you do this or I'm gonna do this. Like yeah. okay, like how is that good for everybody? I just, it's, sometimes politics give me the ick. And it's all about, it's so much about alliances and forging alliances like immediately. And then it's hard. And I think that's what Charlie kind of runs into is that he's like, who do I trust? Who do I not trust? 
yeah, that's all in part four about the the Hellfire Club and stuff. I will no. say the one thing that I thought at the end of the third part is like, what is Winston's involvement? Because Winston has kind of been a thread throughout this whole story. I didn't really know what what was going on of like, why is this happening? I was confused about why they got a baby monitor from Zenith that was supposedly sent from his dad. And then the baby monitor was never really brought up again. But mm-hmm. I think that the baby monitor, Winston was using the baby monitor to spy on Charlie to make sure that Charlie was right. okay. But then we had like this Boschwitz and like Kiefer was like in the story, but not really in the story. And so I think that at this point, I was kind of like, I probably could have been done reading this book at part three and been fine with not knowing what happened. Yeah, that's kind of how I was the whole book. I was yeah. Like, it was okay. I mean, yeah. I ended up liking it, but yeah. Part four starts off, well, it's chapter 23 to the end. We start off in this like major flashback of yes, June. I did not like this. 1772. And in England. In England. And in 1772, we learn about the origins of the Hellfire Club, which was originally a club idea that Benjamin Franklin brought to America from his good friend, Sir Francis Dashwood in England. So this chapter is really important to say, like, this is what the Hellfire Club is. But it was told from the point of view of Temple Franklin. Then, like, what he remembers from visiting with Ben Franklin and visiting Sir Francis, Francis Dashwood in England. So we get that one snippet of a chapter, and then it moves. But it was weird because it went back in time, but then it jumped to 1954 before the next chapter. Yes. So it was and like- I did not like that. I thought that was weird. Like, I was expecting, I thought, are we still in 1772? I know that we weren't, but it was like, why couldn't they, like, there was no division like it just went like oh here 1972 next paragraph is present day or 1950s jake tapper used this 1772 flashback as a way to tell us about the hellfire club but he told about it as charlie reading about it in that file so i think he probably could have done something maybe a little smoother with the hellfire club or Mm -hmm. he could have put it in the very beginning of the book and i would have been like okay, so this is all about the Hellfire Club. This is what the Hellfire Club is. Like, how is this all connected? Yes. So I think it was an ill-timed flashback in the story. But it gives us a lot of information, like how the Hellfire Club is like a group of people that basically they all have dirt on each other. And if you like do something to wrong one of them, like your secrets are out. Yes. So this is an alliance, but you're stuck in this alliance and it's not a healthy alliance that you're in. No. So then we go back to the present day in the story, which is the fourth part takes place over nine days, April 21st to April 30th, 1954. And 
we find out that the Hellfire Club in 1954 is compromised of a very influential group of American men who are controlling policy and economics in the United States. Charlie uncovers the members, or partially the members, finding out that General Kinetics is producing chemical to use in warfare, but it's having a really big impact on the health and surrounding communities. In the end, Winston Martyr and Isaiah Street are part of a president, part of a group that was put together from by President Eisenhower, and that he calls it his advisory group. And it's a collective that's kind of keeping an eye out on things that are going on um, for Ike around the world. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of stuff happened, but that's just kind of the whole gist of what's going on. We have the comic book hearing, too. <laughs> How could I forget the comic book hearing? The comic book hearing. Like, lot, a lot more stuff happens than those three sentences that I just had because we find out that the Hellfire Club has this secret password and it's do what that wilt. They had to say that for something else. And I can't remember if it was the poker game or if it was to get into the library for Connie Hilton's party. I think it was the party. I tried to look for it, but I couldn't find it. So I know that it was a callback. And if I Mm -hmm. went back and read it like more thoroughly, I would say, oh, that is the Hellfire Club because you had Mm -hmm. to say that password to get in. Um, But I couldn't find it in the book. The Hellfire Club, like original intentions are that it's a haven of depravity and it has tremendous social and business benefits. So basically, you have to keep everybody else's secrets or yours will get out. And I, that just, man, that rubs me the wrong way. And I know stuff like this happens in real life. I know <laughs> that this is like what societies yeah. are built on. Like, oh, but just the thought of it, I can't think too hard about it or I just go. <laughs> so this is where. They kind of figure out that under Jennifer is the dossier that um, McLachlan and Wagonin put together. And they figured out that this General Kinetics was producing chemical warfare supplies under the guise of, oh, we're going to make weed killer for cereal grains. Mm-hmm. And that's why the Hellfire Club had to kill both of them was to keep that under wraps because they didn't want to know that they were making chemicals for warfare. But also, Isaiah Street somehow comes up with pictures of Abner Lance and La Montage arranging the car accident, but Isaiah Mm -hmm. Street kind of just, like, has these pictures and you don't really know why he has them. And... This is also when we find out that Dr. Gwinnett is working for the communists. Oh and my gosh. To get yes. Winston Martyr and he's trying to get Winston through Charlie, through Margaret. I'm like, the last, this part was like, just, psh, psh, yeah. Psh, psh. What? Oh, yeah. I just, just kept going, what? <laughs> and this was where I thought, Oh my gosh, all the strings are coming together. This is why I cared about the research trip was because Dr. Gwinnett is a bad guy and they're trying to catch right. him. But right. <laughs> like there was no 
and there I'm weren't any good. clues that he was a bad guy. I'm pretty good at solving mysteries and stories. Like I'll, it's I'm hardly ever surprised about what happens. And this time I was like, oh, Doctor Gwinnett, <laughs> because there was just nothing. And then Catherine Leopold, the se- Charlie Secretary, that one, I was like, what? She works for the FBI, and I was like. What has this lady even mattered in this story? I know. Yes, exactly. Like, we don't hear about her for so long, and then, oh, all of a sudden, she's in the FBI. I got my gun, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you. But then yeah. she was, like, working for Carlin because she was gonna kidnap Margaret. Like, I was confused about that part, so I don't know. I, that, I that part know. was, like, really crazy. So then, they like go to this island and Charlie tries to save Margaret and then they're in a whole bunch of SHIT because everything's happening all at once. Like Carlin's after him, Gwyneth's after him. Like mm-hmm. he's figuring out that he was set up for this car accident. They know that the Hellfire Club is hiding the general kinetics dossier, like all that stuff. <sighs> They end up taking Margaret, Catherine Leopold does, so Charlie and Isaiah have to go and take her back, and they're in, on the Capitol, and they somehow make it to the basement, or something, where there's all these statues that I don't care about. (sighs) Phil Strongfellow is there, and -hmm. then it's like a whole mass chaos Charlie thinks that Isaiah is a traitor because they get down to the to the basement and Carlin, like, Street is actually working as a double agent. So Carlin thinks that Street has been, like, spying for him, but it turns out that we find out that Street is part of this President Eisenhower's advisory group and he's mm-hmm. really spying on Carlin. And so then he goes, this is the okie doke. And then he kills Carlin instead of killing Charlie. Yeah. And then that's, we think, the end of the story. And now I'm going to keep going. So if there's something that you have to add here before Charlie and Margaret go home, now would be a good time. No. Okay. So then Charlie and Margaret go home and Charlie has this super, he has a super, um, keen sense of smell. we forgot to say this in part one yes, yes. He, he is like our mother yes he has like a sense of smell that is like i can smell that you had bacon three days ago for breakfast like i can smell your cologne that you put on six months ago yeah you smoked a cigarette six hours ago i can smell. <laughs> yeah so charlie has this like super keen sense of smell and he goes home and he th- they think like, oh, nobody's going to come and try to kill us here. But he smells Davis Lamentage's cologne. So then mm-hmm. him and Margaret know that he, that like, it's a setup that they're probably going to die. Mm-hmm. And so Charlie goes, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then a light bulb comes on and he goes, oh, comic book hearings. I know how to make a bomb. I have <laughs> household products. So then he makes this chemical cannot like concoction thing and he gets Lamentage and then he pushes them out their window and Lamentage falls to the ground and dies. Mm-hmm. 
And then a couple days later, he gets a call. Charlie gets a call from President Eisenhower's um, secretary, which is just another character being added. Mm. And Eisenhower wants Charlie to join his advisory group. And then that's kind of where it ends. It's like, that's kinda, yeah, Charlie's like, well, do I want to do this, like go back to New York City and start being a professor again at Columbia? Mm-hmm. Or do I want to be a part of this advisory group? Mm-hmm. So my prediction is that he joins the advisory group because what else would you do for book two and book three? Yes. And that when I read the... Uh, summaries of book two and book three like book two happens maybe more like in the 60s and book three is actually their children their kids yeah in the 70s so i i i mean i'm sort of like i would like to read it but i'm like do i want to take i don't know i i think i will okay so that's like the end of the book so um I do think I'll read book two and book three because I'm nosy and I have to know what goes on. And I think if I put it on hold from the library, then when it comes available, then I'll I'll read it. I'm not going to uh-huh. rush out to read the second and, and third it. one. Yeah. But I think it, like, it would be a good um, in-between read when I'm tired of reading all of my romance novels, maybe, mm-hmm. and my fantasy books to like sprinkle in these political historical fiction like spy things so i made a little chart because i couldn't figure out why these four things were happening the comic book hearings were a plot that i had no interest in and i did not care about but we had to have that because if we didn't have that guess what davis lamentage would have killed charlie and margaret Right. So we have this whole plot point. And also, it gave Charlie a way to say something about the pesticide plant. That's true. Yeah, that he wasn't that. supposed to say anything about, but he went ahead and did it. And that's why then they got Margaret was because I forgot that that happened. Yeah, that was yeah. like a major plot point that I just glossed right over. So, yeah. So you had to have the comic book hearings for those two things. That's true. And then the Connie Hilton party, I like during it, I was like, I mean, there's a car crash. He gets really drunk. I have no idea why he got invited to this party. It's because they needed a reason to like rope him into the Hellfire Club so mm-hmm. then they could use him as their puppet. The poker games, the poker games were like, it was a way of getting some information out about like Lamentage and McLaughlin and yeah. Street and the gas mask story. But other than that, I think maybe those probably could have gone away. I was really confused why the Nanticoke Island research trips were happening and why it was so important that we would go to Margaret's point of view for that. And then it just randomly ended up being that Dr. Gwinnett was a communist. And that's how he was trying to get to Winston was like Winston through Charlie through Margaret. Yeah, but, but I just that didn't... just seems like far fetched. Like yes, you know, did they was he a a spy before he knew Margaret? Well, or were, was he like recruited because he had connections to Margaret? I don't know because it said he joined the Communist Party or whatever you would do. 
in the 1940s. So he had been a part of it for a while. And I think he was just a like spy worker guy. And it just so happened that he had this connection with Margaret. Mm-hmm. Those were things that I was confused about. The other thing was the baby monitor. There was this whole part about like Ira Boschwitz and Zenith and him getting fired and all of that for this baby monitor. And then the baby monitor didn't really ever come back up. Yeah. I was just shocked they had that technology in the 1950s. Very new technology. Yeah. I was like, I wonder what they looked like. (laughs) They were probably like this big. I mean, they were probably the size of a suitcase. Yeah. I thought. Like, overall, I thought it was a good book. I do have to say for three-fourths of it, I thought I could not read this book and be totally fine with not reading this story. So. Yeah. All right. So there you have it. The Hellfire Club by Jake Tapper. Mara rated it 3.5 stars on Goodreads. Lexi rated it. I mean, you can if you want. And I have a book. If you wanna, you wanna borrow it, you can borrow it. Because there was only three places that I tabbed in this story. Which I marked a lot in mine, but I just didn't find anything very like worthy. I was confused for a lot of this story. Yes, I yeah, and I like marked things, but then when I went back and did my notes, I was like, okay, but you don't need to mark that now because you found out like. And I had a hard time discerning like. Is this a clue? Is this going to be like important later? Because I just didn't know what was important and what, what was not important. So yeah. I don't have it yet, but do you want to talk about what book we're going to read next? Um, Sure. Next up on KPRB. is Check and Mate by Allie Hazelwood. And this is a new adult book. And when I say new adult, it is, that's the genre, okay? It's not an adult book that just came out. It is a book for new adults, okay? And it has a theme of chess and enemies to lover storyline. My favorite. Yeah. So, and this is a new public. It was published in 2023, wasn't it? Yes. Like maybe like November. Yeah. So, October. Like it's new. It's the beginning of December right now. So, this is a pretty new book for the, the podcast. We haven't done like a new release. So, yeah. Pretty excited. Yeah. Okay. What are you reading now? What am I reading right now? Yeah. Um, well, I just finished yesterday. I just finished reading Two Twisted Crowns by Rachel Gillig. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. No, you didn't think so. <laughs> it was not a good one. Don't listen to her. It wasn't a good one. Um, well, I have to say that, like, my expectations were probably like 150% too high because. <laughs> One Dark Window was, I read it on January, I think I finished it like January 2nd this of this year, and it is my favorite book that I've read in 2023. So I have read like 85 books or something, and it was the first one I read this year, and it has been my favorite throughout this whole year. And so I think my expectations were really high, 
and um, it just didn't deliver. I I was confused. I just didn't. I didn't love it. It was okay. And then right now I'm listening to this book called Friendship. Oh. Nope, it's called Township. I'm sorry. Um, it's called Township, and it's the third one in a series. And the first one's called Friendship, and the second one's called Battleship. And they're really cheesy romance. Mm-hmm. But I'm tr- really trying this year to get 100 new books on my I Have Read list. And I need to finish like 15 more by the end of this month. So I like to listen to these stories. I'm not reading them just because I do find them interesting. But want to say it's the greatest book I've ever read. So up next, I think I'm going to read a book called This Must Be the Place by Maggie O'Farrell is my oh, up next I book. listened to a podcast with her last week. I have a lot going on in my reading because I always have one book that I'm listening to and one book that I'm physically reading. So what about you? Yeah. What are you reading? Um, I just finished Iron Flame. And I know, problematic. Yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. We're still having time processing Iron Flame. So I can't, I can't tell you how I feel for sure about it because I would give it a thumbs down. But I also think I need to slow down and actually read it because I was so excited about it coming out. So that's all I have to say about that. But I love Fourth Wing. Zayden. Zaddy, love. Oh, geez. And I just got a new Kindle, a Kindle Paperwhite. And so I'm reading Snowed In by Katherine Walsh. Ooh. It's a Kindle Unlimited book. It's a rom-com. I think it's also Enemies to Lovers. I started Checking Mate. Um, You little traitor. I was going to read this book called Love Holly. Because our local library was doing a book talk on it. Yeah, I want to read it. Like the within the first few pages, I couldn't read it because it's about two sisters who are in a car wreck and one of the sisters dies. I hope it's not the younger sister. I think it's the older sister. Oh, thank goodness. And I was like, I'm just not in a good mindset to read <laughs> about that right now. Like, I don't need to be nothing. having nightmares about this. Right. And then at school... um. With my sixth graders, we're reading Out of the Dust by Karen Hesse. And that book is just so good. But I'm also reading a book in verse called Res Dogs by Joseph Bruchak. He's a Native American author. And this is about a, a girl who's living. It's COVID just shut down the world. And she's with her grandparents on an Indian, a Native American reservation. Um, and she just is trying to grapple with like her parents are still in the city trying to work and she's here like it's really good is it with your sixth graders or is it just because you wanted to read it it's just what I read when the kids are reading yeah I kind of have a lot I don't think I'm listening to one right now I listened and read Iron Flame okay well I listened to Iron Flame because I was not gonna buy it because I was boycotting it And then I found a copy at my local Sam's Club that has sprayed edges, and I had to buy it. And I think maybe that's part of the reason was the audiobook narrator maybe isn't the best at narrating. And any time that there was any kind of conflict, she was just screaming. Yes. So then I felt like 
very stressed out about it. So I'm going to reread it. Maybe next year I'll reread um, One Dark Window and then immediately read Two Twisted Crowns and then yeah. read Fourth Wing and immediately read Iron Flame. So I'm taking a break from fantasy because I don't love it. Yeah. Like the four of- I read this year, like that that's good. I mean, I haven't read fantasy for a really long time. So, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take a break from fantasy. I love fantasy. And anytime that there's any romance involved in fantasy, I'm like done. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, my favorite thing to read. So mm-hmm. anyway, as you can tell, the two of us have a lot going on in our books. Um, we're ready for Christmas break so we can sit and do nothing except for read our books. Yep. And we'll be back probably the second Friday in January with Check and Mate by Allie Hazelwood. Woohoo! All right. Bye bye.